So we did a series on the chapters in the Christian life. And what we would do is we would go through and we would look at certain chapters in the New Testament that focused uh, really um, primarily on Christian life issues. And so, well, we must have done about 15 or so of them. Uh, and so I just did it once a month when I was uh, teaching on the fourth um, week. And so we wanted to continue that whenever we had the opportunity to do it. And so that, this brings us to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. And there's a lot of information here concerning the Christian life <clears throat> in Colossians chapter 3. A very pivotal chapter for the believer uh, and the mindset of the believer. And uh, in Colossians, Paul, as you know, in the backdrop of the book, uh, did not know these believers here. Um, but uh, this was a letter that he wrote to some believers that um, he didn't, uh, was not familiar with. And Epaphras uh, was the go-between between he and this church. And um, one of the things that he wanted to make sure that they understood is um, the mindset of the believer and what the mindset of the believer should be based upon the things that God has done. So he goes through the first two chapters, and he's talking to them about, um, in the first chapter in particular, what God has done and who the believer is in Christ, and then some of the things that he tells them about what they ought to be careful about. And then he goes into chapter 3, and he talks to them about uh, the importance of the mindset of the believer, uh, the mindset of the believer. And I know that um, if any of you have done anything, uh, be it from playing sports or whatever it is that you've done, the, the focus of the believer or the focus in doing those things is of primary importance. So, for example, when we played high school football, you could not play football, and as anybody in here has done, Carl's played it, and other people, you cannot play football and your head not be in the game. You will get hurt. And I've seen people in practice, and the coaches just kind of laughed. I guess they couldn't do this today because that wouldn't be politically correct because <laughs> the player was just sitting around daydreaming and he got walloped <laughs> because their head wasn't in the game, Right. They weren't really focused on what was going on. And you can say that with regard to the believer in the Christian life, that uh, there has to be a certain mindset to be effective in the Christian life. And if you don't have it, you won't be there. And that's what Paul is talking about here. And, and you can see it. it just, so you can talk to believers and they say, well, I, I still have trouble. I, I'm still not there. I'm not, this is not happening. Or that. Well, the mindset that you need to have to be in the game in the Christian life, Paul articulates here. He articulates it here in Colossians chapter 3. And if we're going to have any success at all in the Christian life, really you can say that it starts here. And so he starts in chapter 3 in verse 1, and he uses a first-class condition. Now why is this important? Because a lot of the things in the English, this is where the language really matters. Because when you look at the English, if you say if to a lot of people, they think, oh, that's conditional. Maybe, maybe I'm not even a believer. But that's not what he's saying here. He's saying since you've been risen together with Christ, so you have, it is a fact, you've been risen together with Christ. So everyone who believes the facts of the gospel, 
Christ died on the cross for our sins, that he was buried, and that he was raised again on the third day, you have been risen together with Christ. So what does that mean that I've been raised together with Christ? Well, he tells you here, this resurrection, this word and the way that it's used, um, it, it has the idea of being raised out or to raise up, to cause to rise. And it's used this way in a couple of places. And so he's emphasizing the fact that you and I, from God's point of view, are counted to have been raised together with Christ. And so you get into this imputation idea that's very important to understand. And, and, you know, we say, well, I don't understand imputation. Well, you do. You just don't know it. And I give you the, the illustration of many times and haven't many times about your bank account. You engage in imputation all the time when you um, go online or you call the bank and you tell them to move money out of one count, account to the other, right? And when they do that, did you see them? physically go in or did they even go in truth of the matter is there isn't no any money in the banks anymore i mean it's just all computerized but they make a decision that they're going to move money out of your account uh, or this checking say over to the savings and you count it to be so you didn't see them do it you didn't witness it happened you just counted it to be so that this is a fact. So why is it so foreign to think that it is a fact that the Father has counted you and me to be raised together with Christ? That so when Christ died, and you can see in Romans chapter 6, every step of the way we were counted to have been participants in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. When Christ died, the Father counted me to have died together with him. When Christ was buried, he counted me to have been buried together with him. And when Christ was raised, he counts me to have been raised together with him. Now, this is very significant. If we, if we cannot get this, I think you will crash and burn with the rest of the Christian life. Why? Because it's all pre- everything else is predicated on your new position. It's predicated on the fact that this is a fact. It's just like, um, you know, I don't, I'm not a math whiz, but I think that you have to have algebra before you can understand calculus, right? And there's some fundamental things you have to have. If you don't have those things, you cannot advance. There's going to be a gap missing in your understanding. For a lot of believers, there's a gap missing. And I think this is the gap. Right here. And so, it's risen together with Christ. Now notice, uh, let's just look at Romans and you'll see the verbal form of it in Romans chapter um, 6. It's not just a verbal form of it, but a a different form of this word in Romans chapter 6. In Romans 6, so Paul talks about the fact of this identification uh, together with Christ. And so notice in verse 1, he says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in the sin nature that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to the sin nature live any longer therein? Know ye not that 
so many of us, as we're baptized into Jesus Christ, we're baptized into his death. Now, here's another thing that happened that you didn't see happen, but you count it to be so. When you believe the facts of the gospel, the Holy Spirit baptized you or dipped you into a new position into the body of Christ. Did anybody see that happen when you were saved? I mean, did you see stars? Was there a heavenly chorus singing over you? Ah! No, nobody saw that happen. But it's important that you understand from the Father's reckoning, this is what has happened. That's why you could, Paul could say in 2 Corinthians 5, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. So now this link is huge. And I've talked to a lot of believers, and the, the thing that is hard for believers to get over is we can't get over ourselves because we're so consumed with seeing who we are and how bad we are. A lot of people are stuck in the mud and that, and they can't, they can't get past that. So I just keep saying over and over, accept the fact that you're no good and move on. You're not. And so people are trying to reconcile. I'm no good. I'm no good. So how do I reconcile it? It's already been reconciled. God knows you're no good. And so that's the issue. And so here he talks about the fact here. So in verse um, four, therefore, so we've been baptized into his death. So we were baptized into his death through being baptized into the body of Christ. And so now we were counted to have been participants in every area of the work that Christ accomplished. So this is why we are sticklers for the gospel. Christ died on the cross for our sins. He was buried and he was raised again on the third day. Why? Because if you understand the gospel, it's a natural transition into present tense salvation. You see. And so notice he goes on and he says in verse 4, Therefore we were buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in a new kind of life. And so Christ was raised from the dead, and as he was raised from the dead, because we were uh, baptized into the body of Christ, everyone in that body are, 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 are seen by the Father has been raised up from the dead as well. Not the physical dead, in this sense. Raised out from among the spiritual dead. And so when God looks at this earth and I... I don't know, we don't account people this way because we don't think people are that bad. But I want you to know, you're beginning to see how bad people are, right? Because all of the, the restraints are being taken off and you're seeing now the sin nature of man in all of its glory. And you can see people who look so refined and now you're seeing they're nothing but real animals. And so... We've been raised together with him. And so you see this, and, and he put it in a stronger form with this uh, preposition, this soon preposition, and it makes it a, a, a more identifiable term because we are with him. We're united with him. Having been baptized into the body of Christ, we're now united with the work that the son accomplished. And that's really, that preposition is a huge preposition. 
because it, 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 it screams identity. Identity. We are identified together with him. And as long as we're identified together with him, we can see ourselves as a part of the new creation. This is very huge for the believer to live the Christian life. Notice in Ephesians chapter 2, he uses this word again, the same form that he uses here in, um, uh, that he used in Colossians, Ephesians chapter 2. And so he starts off in Ephesians chapter 2 and he, he talks about all of the things that we were before salvation and how manipulated we were. So you have a lot of unsaved people. They think that they are in control of their own destiny and they don't realize that they're being played. They're not being, they're not in, there's nobody in control of their own destiny. So these unsaved people out here, they're being manipulated and here Paul tells you the, the insidiousness of the manipulation that's going on in Ephesians chapter 2. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in times past you walked according to the course uh, of this age. And really, there you can see the manipulation. Satan is pulling the strings behind the scenes and the people don't see it. And they think, Oh, I made this choice, you fool. No. Unsaved people are being manipulated. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now, say that word worketh, energizing. He's energizing in the sons, or they said the word children, the mature sons of disobedience. Now, this is a really interesting thing because you have these mature sons that we talked about except a couple of weeks ago in, in the uh, church service. And so you have these ones that Satan, everybody that comes into the world are born as children of Satan. But then he has certain ones that he gives a place that is above the children. And he energizes in them. He's not energizing in some of these lower forms. Now, we can see that some of these unsaved people, he's ashamed of them. He's ashamed of how they act. Well, how do we know that? Because at this point, you do not see Satan acting out who he really is. Everything that he's doing is behind the scenes. He doesn't want people going around murdering and killing and maiming. That's not satanic. That's just the, that's the nature doing that. What he likes is for people, as we see it in 2 Corinthians, a great, great illustration of it, is to act with a quality of righteousness and look like the real thing. Those are the people that are really, and this is why I say, a lot of what Satan is doing, most people don't think anything about it. Because there are people that you see that look like they're good and they are no more good than a man in the moon. They're being energized by Satan in so many different ways. And so he's energizing in these mature sons. And I've I, I've gone through the scripture a lot and I've kind of wondered, you know, what is happening here uh, with these mature sons of disobedience because it's, it's a word uh, that actually has the idea of they're unpersuadable. Are these non-elect people? I tend to think that they are. I could be wrong on that one. I, I won't pound a pulpit and say that they are, 
But I think that there are certain mature sons that Satan is energizing in that they will never be persuaded. They will never be persuaded. Now notice verse 3. Among whom also we had our conversation. The word conversation, not that you were just talking to him, but that you had your habit of life. And so before we were saved, we had our habit of life in times past and the lust of our flesh fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath even as others. In other words, even though we were elect and God chose us in eternity past, perchance had the rapture occurred, we would have suffered the same wrath as those that he's talking about here. But that wasn't going to happen because of the next two words here. Verse 4, but God. Uh, Two of the the greatest words ever put together in the New Testament. But God, uh, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherein he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, he quickened us together with Christ. And so here you, you see again these together words. And really the English actually captures this idea of the um, identification, of the togetherness. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you're saved. And he has, notice verse 6, he has raised us together. So let's take the picture again. You, when you were born into this world, everyone born into this world is born into a position in Adam. Every single individual now, when you believe the facts of the gospel, the Holy Spirit takes you out of this position in Adam and he moves you into a new position in Christ. And so whatever happened before you were saved from God's reckoning is gone. Finito. Finished. And this is why it's ironic to me that you have believers who are, who are saved. They can't let go of the past. I see a lot of them. They can't let go of their past. It's almost like they hold on to it like a, like a trusted friend. And they live by it. And they let people put tags on them and identify you. Well, this happened to you when you were a kid, so this is who you are. No, it's not who I am. It is not who I am. And if you allow people to do that to you, shame on you. Shame on you. That's not who you are. When you believe the facts of the gospel, everything changed. And so you've been raised together. We are seen as being raised together and not just raised together with Christ. We're seen as sitting together at his right hand. That's who we are. That's our position. That's how God sees us. But you know it's hard for believers. So I do this again. Here's how God sees us. And here's how most believers see themselves. And this is the problem. And this is why Paul is talking about what Paul is talking about in Colossians chapter 3. You have to see yourself the way that God sees you. And why do people see themselves this way? They're listening to too many other people who don't know what they're talking about. 
They're listening to people who don't know what they're talking about and cannot ever fathom the work that Christ accomplished on our behalf. And so we've seen, and now he says we've been raised together with Christ. We said, we're sitting there. Well, I thought that I'm sitting right here. Well, from God's reckoning, though your body is on the earth, you're sitting right there at his right hand in Christ. That's our position. And so just think about this with regard to you can have the audacity as a result of understanding these facts to be able to act upon these facts. As you see in Hebrews, Paul says, therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace. You can have the audacity to operate on the basis of these facts. And many believers don't. Because they're sidetracked into thinking stuff that is not true. Things that God has not said. Notice in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 12, you see this word used again. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 12. <clears throat> this uh, first and second chapters of Colossians is just, uh, just amazing. And that first chapter is just... Um, I would put it right there with the first chapter in Ephesians. It's just full of so many nuggets. It's just unbelievable. And so notice, let's pick it up. In verse 8, he reminds the, uh, these Colossians, in, uh, warns these Colossians about people who say things that are not true about who you are in Christ. Well, let's start with, actually with uh, verse 7. Well, verse 6. <laughs> and we'll just keep going. <laughs> He says, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk ye where in him rooted and built up in him, established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware lest any man spoil you with philosophy or vain deceit after the traditions of men. so, you know, this philosophy, you understand what that means. It's a fondness for wisdom. It's just a fondness for wisdom. And you can see that in the world system today where you have a lot of people who have their take on life. And their take, and they sound very flowery, sound intellectual and highfalutin. And this is how I think life ought to be lived. Right? Right, right. And they got all of these things going for them. Why? I did this, and these are my credentials, and, you know, this kind of stupidity. And it only has, and and a lot of it really, (laughs) if you listen to what they say, it doesn't even work, not even in this life. But people can take off after that kind of stuff that undermines who you are in Christ. So philosophy philosophy and vain deceit is uh, this empty deceit in which people use things to try to deceive you but at the end of the day there it's empty it's void of anything of any value and so he says uh, that you um rooted and built up in him established in the face verse seven uh excuse me i was an eight um Philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men and after the rudiments of the world 
and not after Christ. Um, not already, I say, according to uh, the standard of Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him. You are lacking nothing in your position in Christ. Don't let people identify you from a worldly point of view and put labels on you from a worldly point of view trying to tell you who you are. Your identity is not derived from anything or any body in this world. It's derived from the work that Christ accomplished on our behalf. I, it saddens me when I see people who can't get off first base and they're true believers and it's like they're spinning their wheels in the mud and a lot of them, it's what Paul says in Philippians, forgetting those things that are behind, reaching out like a runner in a race toward those things that are ahead. They can't let go of the past. They can't let it go. It's almost like they're scared to let it go. And they hold on to it like it's some kind of prized possession. And, and really, a lot of that is nothing but pure manipulation by the world to distract your mind away from what's true. And so he says, uh, verse 10, you are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also we have the circumcision uh, with the circumcision made without hands and the putting off of the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, you were buried with him in baptism. Okay, if you have a problem thinking that I'm seated at the right hand of the Father, <clears throat> right now from God's reckoning, do you have a problem with this? He also said you were buried together with him. Any of you ever tasted some dirt? Have you ever been buried? Right. So, if you can't accept the fact that you're sitting at his right hand, will you accept the fact that from God's reckoning you were buried together with Christ? Right? So this is from God's reckoning how he has seen what Christ did and our relationship to that work. So we were buried together with him, uh, wherein also you were risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who has raised him from the dead. And so you were raised together with him. Now, what is happening here? So Christ was such a perfect substitute for our sins. And I go back to the gospel, 1 Corinthians 15. Christ was such a perfect substitute for our sins. The Father looks at us as having been on the cross, dying for our own sins. Being buried together with him, being raised together with him, he did the work. We're just alone for the ride. We're just alone. For, now, this is huge because it sets the believer free from all of this guilt and all of this other stuff that comes along with you living in your fallen state. And you just see some believers, as they, you listen to them talk, they're just going round and around and around we go. Where we stop, nobody knows. They just keep going round and round and round in circles, many times over the same issue, round and around and around and around and around. Wasn't that a song by Elvis? 
I'm a wanderer. It's going round and around and around and around. <laughs> and that's what a lot of believers are doing. And so notice going back to um, chapter 3 of Colossians, Paul says, um, since you've been risen together with Christ, it is a fact you've been raised together with Christ. Now, since you've been risen together with Christ, here's an imperative that he gives you. It's not just that you've been risen together with Christ. There's a responsibility on the, the behalf of the believer to look for what that means. You have a responsibility. You don't just say, I've been raised together with Christ, and that's it. You have a responsibility. It's a divine, uh, 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 Dr. Schaefer used to say, divine response, uh, or human response to divine enablement. God has done the work for you. Don't you have the strength to just look into it? Well, I bet if you were told that you were... um, Heirs of uh, J. Paul Getty. A lot of you don't remember who that is, right? J. Paul Getty used to be the richest man in the world. And if somebody told you your name came up and you were heir to J. Paul Getty, you'd be, you'd be beat. (laughs) Nobody would have to tell you. You would be like as fast as you could trying to find out what that what what involved. What am I getting? What am I getting? What comes with this? And you know, this is even more important. That you've been given spiritual riches that blast way beyond this life. And so notice he says, you then, since you've been, it's a fact you've been raised together with Christ, you seek out those things that are above. Now that word, it's actually an imperative, which is important. Because what he's saying Somebody says that these imperatives, as you see them in the New, New Testament, they're, they're, they're the new commandments. You'll hear people say that, but that's not true. But what, it's, what the imperative does in the um, New Testament is it te- it's a strong suggestion. Hey, you really need to do this. If you know what's in your best interest, you really, 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 really need to do this. Am I making you do it? But if you know what is best for you, you ought to do it and just leave it at that. But, you know, with us, you know, okay, I'm not going to say you guys, but with me, sometimes I need somebody to say, you better do this or you're going to get fired. (laughs) You better do this or you're going to get, you know, something bad's going to happen to you. We don't like people to just leave it hanging like that because this is what you need to do. Right. But this is what God does here. And he says, you seek out those things that are above. That word seek is to seek out to search for something with the purpose of finding it. You see it used this way in the New Testament. So you're looking out for something. You're on the look for something. And you're looking for something that you're, with the end result that you're looking to find it. And let me just give you one illustration here in Matthew six thirty-three. Now, we're not looking for this today. But the uh, Jews were uh, doing Christ's earthly ministry, and they were told to seek the kingdom of God. And Matthew 6 and verse 33. Matthew 6, 33. 
Verse 31, he says, Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, what shall we drink, or withal shall we be clothed? For all of these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now to Israel, this is a promise that were made. And notice they were told to seek out the kingdom of God. Now, we're not seeking the kingdom of God today. We're actually part of the kingdom of God today. And there's a lot of things that wouldn't add up if you tried to apply this for today. But this ideal of to search for the purpose of finding. And what is this that he's telling you uh, that we should seek? Uh, Paul, back in Colossians, is telling the Colossians that they should seek out. And it's interesting what he says. Seek out those um, those things which are above. So he actually translates this, or the, the uh, English, uh, the King James translates this in a good way here. Things. You know, uh, you have some of these charismatic people who said that, you know, you are, we have been blessed with all of these riches. Uh, one of the problems that, to that is that he's not talking about physical riches. They're spiritual. Isn't that what Paul says in Ephesians 1, that you've been blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies and so you seek out the things that are above and so this word uh, this things uh, uh, and I would translate it this way those things which pertain to the believers resurrected state that are at the right hand of God that there are things that the believer has as a result of being in this new position in Christ that God has accorded to you that can actually be meted out in the here and now. And so these things, um, notice uh, the word above is the word ano, and it is used to describe the location where God dwells. Um, and so notice in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 14. Philippians 3 and verse 14. Paul uses this when he talks about the, his uh, focus uh, of this life. And it, notice he says, verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection. Now notice he's not looking at a future, future resurrection here as far as uh, from the physical dead. But he's saying, I, I might attain to the resurrection, the one out from among dead ones. Do you realize that there is a resurrection, that when you're living in your position in Christ, that you're living a resurrected life? And it's different from the rest of these zombies that are walking around. I remember when I was at FedEx and people kept saying, the zombie apocalypse is coming. And I kept thinking, it's already here. You just don't recognize it. It's already here. If I may attain to the resurrection of, I would say, out from among dead ones, not as though I had already attained it. Paul says, I haven't actually reached it with with the ideal that I don't even have to go any further, but I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, Forgetting those things that are behind, reaching forth 
for those things through their head. That reaching forth is like, you ever seen those runners in the race as they're running the race and they get to the finish line and they're stretching forth? That's the idea there. That that's his mindset, that he's stretching forth, always looking, trying to grab what's in front of him, not what's behind him. I press toward the mark for the prize of the, the word high calling is our word here, the upward calling, the above calling of God that is where? In Christ Jesus. Notice his focus. Now, one thing that's interesting is that when you see the Apostle Paul, and as he gets on the other side of um, the, um, some of his uh, problems in his apostolic journey, you see a guy grow. There's a difference from the Apostle Paul in Romans to the Apostle Paul in Philippians. He's a totally different guy. A totally different guy. And so his focus now is upward. It's upward. And notice the things, it's the neuter article that is used here of those things specifically belonging to or that pertain to the believer's resurrected state. So we have all of these things that God has said about us as a result of us being raised together with him and having this position together with him, seated at the right hand of the father. There are things that have been accorded to us. And notice you see it very clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Now, I used to think when I saw this verse that this was talking about the future. And it just sounded so flowery. Oh, this thing, God has promised us all these things in the sweet by and by. But he's talking about not in the sweet by and by, but he's talking about now. Paul says in verse 7, but we speak a wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this age knew it. Had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I has not seen, nor has ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man. The things. Now notice, as you continue to follow these things all the way down through verse 15. The things which God has prepared for them that, and I would say here, are loving him. And really, there's only going to be an appreciation for these things to people who are loving God. Do you know that the carnal man does not appreciate these things that God has prepared for those, that, uh, for the believers in this dispensation? They have no appreciation for it at all. And the unsaved man, this is why it is futile to just try to go out with a net and try to bring everybody into the church. Unsaved people will have no appreciation for the things that God has provided for those. And really, he puts a stipulation on it, who are loving him. Do you know not every believer is loving God? How do you find your love for God? Do you say, love you, God. I love you. Love you, Lord. Love you, Holy Spirit. Is that how you do it? Well, right over in First John, he tells you how to love. You love God by showing your love for one another. And so notice he goes on and he says in verse 10, But God has revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yea, even the deep things of God. For what man knows the things 
of a man, save the spirit of a man which is in him. See, so the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit from God. Now we've not received, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know what? The things which are graciously given to us of God. Which things also we speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches. These are not things that you can philosophize about. They're not a philosophy. They're not a politics. They're not of, of social issues. These are spiritual things to talk about us and our spiritual condition. You see? And he says, which things we speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the, with, which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual words. And notice what happens with the unsaved man. And this is why I don't, you talk to an unsaved man, you even talk to a carnal person, and they reject it. Oh, well, you, you understand that they're not going to be able to understand this. Why do I say that? It says it right here. But the natural man receives not the things from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. I tell you what, go to work tomorrow. Those of you who are working, or those of you who are retired, go over to your neighbor and talk about your spiritual condition in Christ. And start talking about how you are blessed, and you're seated at the right hand of the Father, and we have all these wonderful positions and possessions in Christ. Tell that to your neighbor or your co-worker and see how long it will take them to look at you like you flip your lid. <laughs> and they don't have the ability to understand it. And so he says, you seek out those things that are above and so you have this position that we have in Christ in which we, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You have possessions where we have a spiritual gift that God has given to us that we can use in, in the body. You have all these wonderful things. Uh, Lewisbury Chafer back in the day had the 33 riches of divine grace. All of the things that we, we have as a result of being in Christ. And what is my identification? I identify that way. Tell that to the alphabet people. That's my identity. That's how I identify. I identify as one who's been raised together, who's sitting together at the right hand of God. And that's a fact. Not lunacy like you hear people talking about in this world. That is a fact. And so... He says, where Christ sits at the right hand of God. Now notice the last thing he says here in Colossians 3 and verse 2. Notice what he says here. Now this is really probably the most important thing that he says here. Outside of what he just said. <laughs> outside of the, the last thing he just said. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Now this is a mis uh, unfortunate translation here where they translate affection. And it's not, it makes it seem like you, you, you set your emotions. But it's not that, that ideal. It's the word for, na for now. And it's the ideal of set your frame of mind. Now I would say this. 
you set your mind so that you restrict your mind to a narrow focus upon who you are in Christ and how God sees you in Christ. So you're restricting your mind. And so that we understand that because there's things that when, you, when you're working, I hope you're not thinking about other things. Uh, you focus on your job, I would hope, that you've restricted your mind to certain things, right? Uh, when you're driving. Oh, maybe that's not a good idea. <laughs> there are things. Let me go back to football because I'm going to tell you, you will get hurt. If you do not restrict your mind on the football, you will get what they used to say, you'll get a slobber knocker. Somebody will hit you and knock the sense out, the taste out of your mouth. You had to actually be engaged. You had to be focused on what was going on. Do you know this is the ideal here behind this word? That you have to restrict your mind to who you are and what we have in Christ. And it, that word set your affections actually is, is translating that word for, for now. Oh, now. Let me give you a couple of places where you see it used in uh, Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 15. It's used several times here <clears throat> uh, in different forms. And very important in how it's used here. Notice he says here in verse um, 15, let us therefore as many as be, see that word perfect is actually maturing. See how he says here, be thus minded? It's really, it's um, let us frame or restrict our minds in this way. And what is that? On what Paul was just saying about I press toward the mark of the above calling. And he says, let as many... And so as, you're, as ones who are maturing, let us restrict our minds to this. Therefore, whereunto we were already attained, let us walk by the same rule. See that word again? Let us mind. Let us restrict our minds on the same things. I really believe, somebody said uh, this word, friend, and also nutheo. That those are two of the most important words concerning the mind and how they work that are used in scripture. And I'm not, I think it's probably not far from being accurate. If you do not know how to frame your mind, you know what the results are going to be? And you can see it in people. They're all over the map. They, you could just tell they're, they're unpredictable. You don't know what they're going to do at any point in time. They're just all over the map. Why? Because if you don't restrict your mind on who you are in Christ, the Holy Spirit's not going to be able to do his job and to come in and feel you. Because as you restrict your mind here, the Holy Spirit now is coming in and he's doing his job and filling you and causing you to have what you need to operate in this life. And the people who don't have the capacity to restrict their mind or refuse to restrict their minds, they're not going to accomplish much in this life. Even those who are believers, you're not going to accomplish much. If you do not take the imperative that Paul has said here in Colossians by restricting your mind on things above 
as you have the opportunity and you see your battles that are coming from the sin nature and you have the opportunity to put your mind there, don't focus on the sin nature and what it's saying to you. Immediately put your mind there. This is who you are. This is how God sees you. And it's right of you to think that way. Right. Well, what what really happens is that we do things that are counterintuitive because when we get attacked from the sin nature, we immediately start saying, oh, sucks. I'm just such a horrible person. Get over it. You are a horrible person. That's not what God wants. He wants you to now be able to look upward with what the son has done on our behalf, that this is who we really are. That when we live in our position in Christ. There are some great things that are possible because the Holy Spirit's going to do the work in our lives and cause us to be stable and cause us to be able to do those things that God had foreordained for us to do. Too many believers who won't restrict their minds and don't know how to restrict their minds on who we are in Christ, that we're part of a new creation. We're completely different from what we were when we were born into this world. And that's why Paul could say, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The world does not want you to believe that. It wants you to restrict your mind on your identifications in this world. And if you do, you will crash and burn. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity to be able to review and to look at these things that are so precious concerning the believer's ability to be able to live in our position and how important it is and the work that the Son did on our behalf in order to make this possible. Totally a thing of grace. Totally because of what you provided through your Son and the opportunity for us to glorify you while we're here on this earth. We're thankful for it. In your son's name we pray. Amen.